Are you ready to head down the path to an abundant retirement? We're tackling the topics of the mind of the modern retiree here on Navigating an Abundant Retirement Radio. And now your host, Carol Dewey. Welcome back to Navigating an Abundant Retirement Radio. I am your host, Carol Dewey, and this week we're going to talk about economic conditions and why I believe the 60-40 portfolio is dead and what you can do to be in a better position to take advantage of times like we are experiencing today. So let's start with U.S. government debt. We are now over $31 trillion of government debt. The number is so big, people can't even wrap their minds around a big number like that. If you go to the usdebtclock.org site, you will see the $31.2 trillion, which is climbing rather quickly. What does that mean to you? That means that every one of you now owes $247,000. So when are you going to send in your check? That's how much of your money they've already spent that they don't have the revenue for. If you look a little further on that site, you'll also see another $172 trillion of unfunded obligations for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, government pensions, military pensions. So what does all that mean? This is clearly an indication that taxes are going to have to go up and by a lot. Let me try to put into perspective how much money this really is. If $1 equals one second, a million dollars equals about 11 and a half days. A billion dollars equals 32 years, but a trillion dollars, that equals 32,000 years. Got it? And 31 trillion is 992,000 years. That's $1 per second for 992,000 years. It's a lot of money. Let me put this amount of money in another way so that you can let it run past your brain real slow. A million dollars is 10 stacks of $100 bills. A hundred million is a whole pallet. A billion dollars is 10 pallets of $100 bills. And a trillion dollars is 10,000 pallets of $100 bills. People don't really think a million, a billion, a trillion. No, a trillion is very, very different than a million or a billion. So why is this a problem? Well, if you have a $31 trillion debt and you're paying 1% interest, that's $310 billion. Well, that might be kind of manageable. But if it goes to 5%, now you're at $1.5 trillion just for interest on the debt. And we know it's not going to stay at $31 trillion. When it hits $50 trillion at 5%, percent interest, that's $2.5 trillion. And let me put that into perspective for you. The entire defense budget is $800 billion. The entire Social Security budget is $952 billion. So we're talking, if interest rates go to 5%, you're talking interest on the debt that's more than the defense budget and Social Security budget combined. I mean, it's crazy. People have no idea how bad the situation is. This interest on the debt alone is going to take up the entire budget at some point if we don't get this under control. And what I've always told people is we don't have to get it down to zero. What we have to do is just stop growing like this. Just let's level it off and then put it on a 100-year plan to pay it off. We could get the debt under control. We could have a plan to pay it off over the next 100 years, next 150 years. Just 
come up with a plan. The market would respond to that very positively, but I'm not holding my breath for that. And then inflation is the worst that it has been in 30 years. And it's not just in America. Look at Turkey at 73% inflation. There are some places in South America and Africa that are over 200% inflation. We're somewhere around 8 to 9% inflation. The world inflation rate is about 10%. But if you look at energy prices... Turkey is paying 192% more than they paid in the past. The United States is about 23% more in fuel prices. And then there's food prices. Again, Turkey's up 90%, Hungary 33%, Lithuania 30%. The United States is kind of at the bottom of the list at 13.5%. So inflation is bad here, but it's bad all over the world as well. And this just shows that for all those years, inflation was very low, under 2% or just around 2%. And then the pandemic hit in 2020. Why did everything jump? Well, what did we do? The Federal Reserve increased their balance sheet by $5 trillion. The federal government spent 2 3 or $4 trillion just in that time frame. When you flood a system with that much money, it causes inflation. Milton Friedman, one of the best economists ever, said, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary event, which in pure English means when you print money, it causes inflation. And when you throw that much money at everybody giving stimulus checks, they way overspent and they way overprinted. And then even when inflation was at 7%, guess what? They were still printing money and they kept the interest rates low. They should have been addressing this since 2021. They should have just gone up 50 basis points and then waited. They should have done this all a while ago. They could have gone up slow because it's not just the fact that interest rates are going up. That is a problem. It's also the pace. It's the speed of the interest rates that's also a problem. And inflation is not the same everywhere. You'll see prices tend to be higher in some areas. You'll notice that medical care hasn't gone up that much. It's gone up in the past, but this year, it hasn't gone up that much. But you talk about fuel and food, that's eggs, butter, and bacon. All those things are up, and a lot. And if I had to stop and say one thing, one thing that could turn inflation around, it would be this. Diesel prices have soared. Now think about why this is important. Everything you buy comes on boats, trains, and trucks. And what do boats, trains, and trucks have in common? For the most part, they use diesel fuel. I don't want to come off as being political, but... But I think it was a huge mistake to come in on day one and stop the pipeline and stop the drilling on federal lands and were literally declaring war on the oil industry. That was a huge mistake. Look, I want a clean climate. I want a clean energy environment just like everybody else. But we cannot just go to renewables like flipping a light switch. It's not there. You have to transition. And the easiest way to transition is with natural gas and things like that. But they're all tied to drilling. So how can the Federal Reserve lower diesel prices. They're trying to do it right now. They're taking a sledgehammer to the economy and they're just raising interest rates and raising interest rates. Well, how is that going to lower diesel prices? Here's the hidden agenda. They've got to throw enough people out of work. They've got to make millions of people unemployed in our communities. They've got to lower your 401k balance, lower your stock account balance so you don't feel so wealthy. That way you're not buying all kinds of stuff. That's taking a sledgehammer when we should be just adjusting a watch. I have degrees in economics and finance. Lucky for me, economics really isn't rocket science. The fastest way to get diesel prices down is to drill more oil. And I don't understand for the life of me why we should go to Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or Iran when we can do it right here in America. 
I just don't understand it. And even the climate change people, I don't get it because somebody's going to have to drill the oil. Somebody has to. And here we drill it in the best that it can be drilled. It's going to be safer, cleaner here with good American jobs versus over there. So I just don't understand it. But this is a big problem. And this was really the cause of a lot of the prices going up. And this just addresses diesel. I don't know how the feds are going to do it. It seems like they're just trying to throw five to 10 million people out of work. So they stop driving and stop commuting. That's not the best way to do these things. Even if we increase minimum wage and wages across the board, we still have less purchasing power because you used to get a Big Mac with large fries and a large drink at McDonald's for five bucks. And now you get a Big Mac with a small fry and a small drink for 12 bucks. So we're not better off when the government gets involved. You know, the only thing that can really set wages is the market. That's true. It's all supply and demand. That's what I love about economics. Economics literally solves all the problems. You don't have to care for high gas prices because the higher the gas prices stay, the more people will start drilling and then the price comes down. You know what the cure for low gas prices is to allow gas prices to get low. Then people start doing all kinds of stuff. They travel more and that causes gas prices to go up. It's all about supply and demand. This is really not complicated stuff. Just as it may appear that we're all about the doom and gloom. There are positive signs in the economy. Historically, what goes up, just like we experienced in the 1980s, will come back down, according to experts. Another good sign is shipping costs are down and many commodities have come down. If you remember, lumber prices soared to ridiculous levels not too long ago and lumber is back down. Copper went up and copper is back down. Steel's down. Aluminum is down. So many of the commodities are coming down. A lot of that will all help to reduce inflation in the future. But what's happening is the Fed is using that sledgehammer and they just keep raising interest rates. As I mentioned, when you raise interest rates from literally 0 to 5% in just a series of months, that's never been done before. And what that does is it can cause problems for people who are on the wrong side of the trade. For example, interest rates go up and then they come back down. But we usually experience a fairly predictable range. When interest rates get towards the upper part of the range, there are companies, pension funds, hedge funds, and the like that will buy puts, thinking that the interest rates are going to come down. And then they make money on that. And then when interest rates are down, they buy a call. And that's how they're making money. Well, if you buy a put and all of a sudden interest rates skyrocket, you can lose a ton of money really fast. And that's what's happening. And what's interesting is that interest rates are now the highest since June of 2008, and I believe they're going to keep going. They've moved so fast that the United Nations has called on the Fed to stop these interest rate increases. They don't want the Fed to keep going. In fact, there's been multiple calls for that. Why? Because of the U.S. dollar. See, when we raise interest rates, what happens is our dollar goes up in value. If you're traveling abroad and buying things, you're going to be able to buy more stuff because our dollar is worth more. But think about this. Many of the little countries we consider as emerging markets put their debt into dollars so that they can sell them to U.S. investors. 
Okay, well, when your debt is in dollars, let's say you owe a hundred million and your currency now drops 30% against the dollar. That's just like your debt increased to $130 million and you didn't spend any more money, but you have to pay it. And so when you raise interest rates so fast, I'm convinced something is going to break. Paul Volcker, back in the 1980s, had to raise interest rates to 20%. He was the most hated man in America. Builders sent him two-by-fours in the mail to show him that he was wrecking their businesses, the industry, and all the business leaders were against him. They had to hire special security detail just for him because he was the villain of the time. But he did crack inflation's back. So when Powell says he's going to stay the course... I take him at his word. A phrase comes to mind. Honey, the Fed shrank our retirement savings. That's part of the plan. They want you to feel less wealthy so that you spend less money and you drive less and that will bring prices down. It's not the best way to do it. It's a sledgehammer to adjust the watch. But that's what they've done. During COVID, the Fed balance sheet spiked $5 trillion. They did quantitative easing. So what's quantitative easing? That's when you're printing money. Now, they don't literally print money. They buy bonds and they inject liquidity into the market. Well, guess what? Now they're going to quantitative tightening. In fact, they're already doing it. That's like putting money through the shredder. Now they're not shredding money. They're letting the bonds roll off and maybe selling some bonds. But it's the same effect as shredding money. They're shredding $90 billion a month. They want to take $5 trillion off the balance sheet right now. That's a lot of shredding. And what that does is it puts equities at risk because there's not enough liquidity. There are not enough people buying stocks necessarily for it, and then it drains liquidity. People think that China was the number one buyer of U.S. government bonds. You know who's bought the most government bonds in the last five years? The Federal Reserve. We bought our own bonds. We are the number one buyer of our own bonds. Well, guess what? Now we're not. So who's going to step into that void? Now that the liquidity is diminished, that can help push stocks lower as well. And that's what's happening. This was the worst year so far in the history. 100 years of the 60-40 portfolio. Now stocks are down, bonds are down. The theory behind the 60-40 portfolio, which was 60% stocks and 40% bonds, has been a standard strategy for investors and for a good reason. It is designed to balance growth and risk, both allocations growing over time while offsetting each other. When stocks are up, bonds are down and vice versa. This portfolio allows investors to participate in the market's gains, but without too much of the downside exposure. This year, stocks and bonds are both down, and part of this year, bonds were down even more than stocks. A colleague and mentor of mine, Tom Hagner, wrote an article that Forbes published back in 2016 where he wrote, the 60-40 portfolio is dead, long live life insurance and annuities. And all he said was there's tremendous risk in the bond market right now and that if interest rates go up, the value of bonds goes the opposite direction. He indicated that bonds could fall 20 or 30%. Well, that's exactly what's happened. There is, however, a simple solution, and that is to move your bond portfolio if you're young to cash value life insurance, or if you're older, to an income annuity. And that would solve the problem. And boy, if people had done that, they would not be seeing the pain that they're seeing today. But the good news is that it's still not too late to put a floor under what's happening in the markets and start riding the ship. There are solutions 
emotions in all of this. Even though the S&P 500 is down, the treasury bonds are down, everything's down. It's one of the three worst years since 1926 where both stocks and bonds are down. So why am I urging you to take action now and at the very least put a floor under what is happening? Well, the Financial Times said the average retail investor's account is down 44%. Sure, the S&P 500 may only be down 20%, but that's not where everybody was investing. The majority of consumers are in Snap, Twilio, DocuSign, Okta, Roku, Teladoc, Ring, Carvana, and AMC Theaters. All these stocks are down over 80%. These are not just junky companies. We're seeing Facebook, Netflix, PayPal, Fubo, Pinterest, Zoom, Peloton, Robinhood, and a myriad of name brands down over 65%. When do you think these stocks will hit another all-time high? Some of these may never recover. There are some experts who say stocks have likely hit their bottom. My opinion resides in the camp with the experts who are warning that 2023 is going to feel like a recession and the worst is yet to come. Today, I'm sharing with you the things the way I see them. I encourage you to do your own research research and decide for yourself. We'll include a few recent articles from both camps in the show notes to get you started. Along with the 60-40 portfolio, Tina is also dead, according to a recent article. And I don't mean Tina Turner. Tina is an acronym for there is no alternative. The idea is that everybody invests in the stock market because there is no alternative. Well, guess what? There's a lot of alternatives. Now there are REIT investments that are paying over 10%. There are preferred stocks that are paying 8, 9, 10, there are bonds out there that are paying 789%. There are closed end funds with discounts that are paying 789, 10%. And so there are other alternatives than just the stock market. In times like these of great uncertainty, when your broker is telling you to just hang in there, it's going to be okay. I say there is no bad news and there is no good news. There is only news. There are tools and strategies at our disposal to allow you to stop the bleeding, put a floor under it, and be able to take advantage of times like these now and in the future. I invite you to get the answers you need about your financial plan in one of our exploratory meetings. To receive the benefits of a valuable fiduciary second opinion, a net retirement income analysis, a social security maximization report, a blueprint of your current portfolio, a tax consultation through the four stages of retirement, or an estate planning review. Schedule your consultation now. There's no obligation. That's all I've got planned for you this week. Until next time, remember that navigating your abundant retirement starts today. I'd like to encourage you to continue our journey of enlightenment and education by subscribing to our podcast and downloading the show. See you next week. You should consult a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this broadcast constitutes as a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentioned rates of returns are historical or hypothetical in nature and are not a guarantee of future returns. Carol Dewey is an investment advisor representative of Perpetual Wealth Financial, a Florida-registered investment advisor firm. 